0: You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk by Pastor Terry Riley, titled, Prayer, from the series, Growing Stronger. For more info, visit creekside.org. Matthew chapter 6, it was 30 years ago this week, uh, Super Bowl twenty had a unique cast of characters and a, a unique team. It was the Chicago Bears, they were called the Monsters of the Midway. And uh, they had this cast of characters. They had this bigger-than-life coach. His name was Mike Ditka. Then they had uh, one of the best football players of all time, uh, running back named Walter Payton. And then they had this really couple of real characters. They had William the Fridge Perry. He's this big man that you see up here. And uh, they used him for a lot of different things in the game. But uh, a large, large man and a large personality. And then they had this wild child who was the quarterback. His name was Jim McMahon. And um, <clears throat> so this, 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 this team uh, was just had a lot of notoriety because of just the, this cast of characters. Well, during the year leading up to the Super Bowl, Mike Ditka, the head coach, he was given this pep talk in the locker room. But before he started giving it, he said to the fridge, he says, hey, would you uh, close my time? Would you say the Lord's Prayer? Get the team together and say the Lord's Prayer. And the fridge said, Sure. So he, you know, Dick gets up and he says, well, before, you know, after I'm done, the fridge is going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And so he starts ramping up to get the team ready to, to go out and play this game. Well, Jim McMahon, the quarterback, he leans over to one of his teammates and he goes, I'll, I'll bet you 50 bucks that the fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. I mean, you know, he, he just, he doesn't know it. Well, his teammate looks at McMahon and he goes, are you kidding me? Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. Come on, he'll, he'll, the fridge will know it. He goes, 50 bucks, and he goes, okay, 50 bucks, I'll I'll go, yeah. So Ditka's, you know, getting his ramp up, his pep speech going, and he's talking, and finally he gives the nod to the fridge. And the fridge, this 340-pound man full of girth, he stands up and rumbles to the ground and bows his knee, and all the Chicago Bears bend their knee, and they get on the ground, and all of a sudden the fridge starts leading out, and he goes... Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And all of a sudden, as he's saying that, McMahon taps his teammate on the shoulder. He goes, "Wow, I can't believe he actually knew it. I guess I owe you fifty bucks." (laughs) Uh, uh, I I heard that, and I—that's one of my—I just love that story. It's. Uh, and if you knew these guys, it would really make sense to you. But you know, whether or not you know the Lord's Prayer, maybe you're here just kind of, you know, kicking the tires of your faith, or maybe you've been a person of faith for years. It doesn't really matter. We're just glad that you're here. But today I want to, we're starting a series between now that's going to go till Easter about growing, growing stronger. And I just want to look at some things that I believe will help us grow stronger. And one of those key things really is prayer. That it's one of those things that so often we forget about it. We put it on the shelf because, well, we're just we're we're pretty quality qualified people. But I want to remind us of how important this is in growing strong in our life. Because wherever you are in your spiritual journey, prayer helps you understand and see and tap in to the power and the character of who God is. It's critical to our life and. And if you have any question about that, just study the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, because what do you see? Jesus was always praying. I mean here he is the Son of God i mean he's he's God, and what did he always do? He was always connecting with his father, communing with his father. Sometimes it says he'd get up early in the morning when it was still dark and by himself he would get away to pray. Sometimes he'd go by the seashore and he'd pray. Sometimes he'd go by a mountainside at night and he would pray. Why? Because he knew that he needed to be with his father. The disciples had to take note of this because whenever Jesus prayed, people were healed, the blind saw, the lame walked. People were fed and those in bondage were set free. So it seems clear to those that walked around him, and they must have been taking notes. Wow, when Jesus prays, this happens. Things take place, and you got to be. They're thinking, well, how does he do that? How does that take place? I can imagine that some night the disciples are probably around a fireplace, and excuse me, a, a, a fire pit or something, and, and Jesus is off praying, and they're thinking, you know what, Jesus, he's praying again. Have you ever thought about the power that he brings to everything? How does he do that? What what? does he say? How does he get that to happen? And then they probably say, well, let's find out. Okay. Who's going to ask him? You ask him. No, you ask him. I I don't want to ask him. And then probably they just finally said, Peter, you ask him. You got the biggest mouth. You're always the one that always speaks first. And so at some point we see in Luke chapter 11, Jesus finishes praying and one of the disciples or the disciples walked to him and they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And I love this because they didn't say, Jesus, would you teach us to preach? They didn't say, Jesus, would you teach us to teach? Jesus, would you teach us how to do a crusade? Jesus, would you teach us how to heal? Everything that they saw was connected to his prayer life. And they said, Jesus, you know what? We want to learn to pray. Now, this prayer was... Uh, he, he, he he met with the disciples. This is probably about a year and a half into his ministry, maybe two years. And this is where he teaches them specifically as a group how to pray. But we're going to look at the same prayer that was probably given a year to a year and a half earlier, but it was given to the multitudes. It was given to you and I. Jesus, in the first um, Uh, verses of chapter 6, he's talking about how to give, and then he talks about how to pray. And he kind of gives some important principles that I find are interesting. He's talking and he says, listen, don't be like the religious people. Don't be like those religious guys that they just go out in their robes and they stand on the streets and they pray just to be heard. And don't ever think that because you have a lot of words, because you have eloquent verbiage, that that's going to make any difference either. And sometimes we think that. We see people that pray. Sometimes I think a lot of times people are afraid to pray in public or personally because we hear all these people that are eloquent or they're loud or they're demonstrative. And Jesus says, don't be fooled by that. That means nothing. He says, I want you to have a focus when you pray. And so in chapter 6, he says, therefore, when you pray pray this way. So let's read this together. Let's kind of give it full voice and just walk through it. So on three, let's begin reading. One, two, three. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That probably took us about one minute to pray that. I don't know, there's probably less than 80 words in that prayer. And I want you to see that Jesus gives us this model On how to pray. And the first thing we see, he talks about God's person, our Father, who is in heaven. And he uses the word there, first of all, our. We're not alone. It's not just us that's praying. There's a whole worldwide church that comes under the canopy and the umbrella of the Father in heaven. Now, what's important to understand is that Jesus now is ushering in this whole new radical understanding of God, a very paternal relationship. Before, it was this God who was out there. In the Old Testament, we saw this God. He was Elohim, the strong one. We saw uh, El Shaddai, the mighty one, and then the word that was seldom spoken, Yahweh, I am that I am, the God that has always been and always will be, and everything you need, I am am he. And so Jesus is saying there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a radical shift that takes place here as he goes into the New Testament and shares this prayer. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we now have access to God the Father. When we speak, he hears. When we walk, he watches. He always has, but Jesus is trying to bring into this, this paternal aspect that the people up until this point really didn't experience. And for some of us here, you're probably thinking, me, God, really? Does, does he really have that kind of oversight? Yes, he does for every one of us. Our Father. It's not the pastor's Father. It's not the, the somebody. Else. It's our Father. It's everyone. And Jesus says this. He says, I want you to know this about the Father. You've seen him this way. But now when you watch me, in John chapter 14, verse 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, when we begin to talk about Jesus, we use words like love, compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, caring, kindness, goodness, gracious. And what he's trying to help us to understand that, you know what, that's exactly like what your heavenly Father is like. Hebrews 1.3 says that I'm the exact representation of that Father. And so people say today, well, what happened? I mean, did God get saved in the New Testament, I in the in between the New Testament? I mean, the New Testament and the Old? I mean, what what, what was the change? God didn't change. We did. This whole new relationship changed. It says this in John 1 12, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the sons and daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8 says that we've entered into this relationship, that word father that Jesus is using. It's not just father. It's really the idea of a very endearing papa, daddy. That's what Romans 8 says, that we have been adopted into his family, and we're his kids, we're his sons, we're his daughters. Most Many of you that have been at this church for a while know that both of my, I have two sons, and both of them or adopted. I'll never forget the privilege it was, the joy, that one day, 1983, we got to go fly to Rapid City, South Dakota, to pick up our oldest son, Joel. And then, about a little little less than two years later, we got to drive down to Tustin, California, one day after Jamie was born, and pick him up. See, these were sons that were adopted into our lives. We didn't just have them; we had to pursue them, we had to seek and to search out, finding them. Then we had to pay for them in a different way that insurance wouldn't cover. But we loved them. I'll never forget the first time I got to hold them, even though they weren't our bi- even though they weren't biologically our sons, they were sons of our heart. And it was so easy to embrace them. And it's given me great insight into how Father God loves us because he's adopted us, he's chosen us, he's called us out, he sought us out. Now, when my kids were growing up, they heard a lot of titles that I had because I've done a couple of different things. They would have heard me called Mr. Teacher, Pastor, Coach, Boss, PT, Terry, probably a few others that I can't repeat here. But there's one name that only they used, it's Dad. They're the only ones that call me dad. And my relationship with them is such they're the only ones that I've ever called son. It's a unique relationship that because of our relationship of adoption, they have the privilege of experiencing grace from me to receive of my goods, my counsel, my assistance. Anything that is mine becomes theirs. One of the qualifications of adopting, I had to make a commitment that they would inherit whatever I had. And see, that's what the Father does for us. As a matter of fact, this relationship to me is so important. Uh, my kids didn't, don't know this. Uh, my youngest son does now because he was here first service. Every time I am with them, I will always, they're Jamie and Joel, and I'll call them by that name, but I make sure every time I am with them, and I don't tell them I'm doing this, every time I'm with them, I call them son at least once because I never want them to forget their relationship to me that they're my son. They're not just Jamie, they're not just Joel, but they're my son. And Jesus, he comes out and he says in this prayer, the first thing I want you to understand is he paints this powerful picture of this relationship to this great father. And he says, I don't want these just to be words that you pray, but I want them to be precepts that enter you into this powerful relationship. And he says he's our father in heaven. Heaven is a real place. It it has beauty. It has perfection. Revelation 21 and 22 says there's no pain. There's no disease. There's no darkness. There's no suffering. There's peace. There's goodness. There's purpose. There's intentionality to it. And God says this is ultimately heaven is, is what I want you to experience, the perfections of it. But sometimes we forget that really that's what was meant for our time here on earth now. Remember, we spent a number of weeks in Genesis 1 through 11, where we understand that the creation was perfect, and then man in his sinfulness, we marred it, we messed it up. And so we don't get to see that perfection anymore. All of those things that that are about heaven, we still see here. But in the biblical thinking throughout the process, the themes throughout Scripture, heaven is not just meant to be something out there. But especially when Jesus came, he started talking with his disciples about these things called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not literally heaven, but they are interchangeable uh, 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 verbiage. Kingdom of heaven is really the same thing as the kingdom of God, because what God wanted us to know and to understand is that he wants heaven to intersect and to be a part of earth. God wants his goodness, his grace, his truth, and his love to come and be a part of us. That's why Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, he's sitting down again with these religious leaders and they're kind of giving him a hard time and he's always getting kind of, they're putting a full court press on him to not be what he is and to do what they want. And they look around and they go, Jesus, where's this kingdom you're talking about? Where is it? How can we know it? How can we see it? And Jesus looks at him and he says, the kingdom of God is not to be observed. It's not here. It's not there. It is among you. And what is Jesus saying there? He says, I'm the king. And wherever I am, the kingdom is. The kingdom resides. It's not pie in the sky out there. It's right here. And that's what Jesus wants us to know, that you and I, because we're benefactors of the Father, because we are now living in the realm of the kingdom, he says, I want you to bring that to reside wherever you are. And he says, I want you to know this. He says, I want your name to be honored as holy, the heavenly father. As my heavenly father, I relate to him. And because I know he's in heaven, because I know he's God, I want to honor him. I want to revere him. I want to be in awe of who he is. And sometimes, you know, we have such a ca- we can have such a casual relationship with the living God that we kind of, you know, we really don't honor and revere him. And sometimes we need to come back to that where we really do live in this awe of who God is and we worship him with just this this sense of awe. Remember, one of the Ten Commandments is simply that we would honor his name. We would not use it in vain. We wouldn't use it glibly or loosely. Because we don't want to devalue his name. We don't want to misuse his name. Why? Because we carry that name with us. If you remember in the book of Acts, um, at the church at Antioch, it says they first called Christians their Christians, Christ followers Christians. Why? Because they were seen as little Christ. So not only do we carry God's name, but we carry that name Christian. And the reason is, is because that's our identity. And when we carry that Christ, where it's the essence. It's one of Christ's titles. It's the essence of who He is. When I talked about these other names of God, El Shaddai, um, Yahweh, those I mean, we have these names to help us understand the totality and the essence and the character of who God is. And when we talk about God, when we walk with God, literally we take that name with us. That becomes our identity. When my boys were growing up, most of their lives... I have been involved in church leadership, pastoring youth, pastoring all of these things. So they were—they've been involved in a lot of church. And when they first came here, they were old enough for people to say, "You're a PK." You know what a PK is? It's a Preacher's Kid. So they say you're a PK, and usually that would be followed as, "Hey, because you're a PK, don't do this," or "Because you're a PK, do this." And so they started coming and say, "Dad, if we're a PK. What's that?" It's a a preacher's kid. They tell us not to do this or to do this. And I said, listen, I don't know what they're saying. We'll talk about that in a minute, but this is what I would always tell my kids. Never forget this. You're not a PK. That is not your identity, and that's not who I want you to be identified as. You are a Riley. You carry my name, and you represent me. And I said to them, I said, I never shamed my dad. I never shamed our family name growing up, and don't you do that either. You say, well, that sounds kind of harsh. Well, no, but I wanted them to have an identity. I don't want them to get stuck with a title of PK where people can, can begin to pigeonhole them. I want them to know they are a Riley, and with that name comes certain things, and you act a certain way, and you do certain things. And I think, loved ones, that sometimes we forget that. We carry God's name. It's his identity that we carry into this world. Jesus said, When you see me, you see the Father because he carried who the Father was. And the people need to see our Father because he's given us our name. And you know what I find is when I pray this prayer, Lord, today I'm going to go forth. I want to hallow with your name. I want to honor your name. It it kind of slaps the slack out of my spiritual sails. Because I'm not going in my name even. While I don't want to ever embarrass the Riley name, I'm going in God's name, and his identity. I want to honor him. I want to worship him in my day and all that I do. Why? Because I'm a son. You're a son. You're a daughter of this heavenly father. And we want to honor and we want to revere his name. And kind of continuing with this motif, he says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here he talks about God's purposes. Again, it's not pie in the sky, but the kingdom of God is simply wherever Jesus comes, he's the king. He wants to bring his effective rule and reign on earth, on this planet, in this church, in your life, and in your family. And we can never forget about God's original intent for this world. God's will be done. Imagine the desires and the dreams and the hopes that he had for this world when he first conceived of it in his mind. That's the reality, loved ones, that he wants us to have today. Can we have it? No. But we can begin to experience and and bring it into the small places of our life. See, this prayer is not just words to be prayed, but it's, it's this place where the intersecting of heaven and earth come, where what is there can become part of here now. Well, how does that happen? Well, it starts with prayer. When I'm out jogging or when I'm out walking, it's usually around this neighborhood and uh, up um, toward like, the juvenile center and down Mirror and down Morello and then up. Past the shops there, by Walmart, and in that area, and then down by Morello School in the Morello area, that's kind of the areas that I walk and I jog. And as I'm going through there and past the, the strip mall over here on Morello, I'm always, I'm, I'm always, I've got my iPad on, iPod on, and I'm, and I'm just praying, Lord, I just pray for this neighborhood, that you'd be real here, that somehow your life would be manifest, that some Creeksider would be able to speak into it. I go through my neighborhood. I know a lot of my neighbors that don't have come here. I know them by name. Trina knows them. We just pray for them. Lord, let your, king, let your life be manifest here. And what am I really saying? I'm saying they're the kingdom. I go to, you know, by the shopping, you know, the shopping areas. Lord, bless these businesses. Let them be infused with the life of God so maybe there'd be some Christian managers or Christian people there that can really make a difference and we can see change. When I go by Morello School of God, Give us great teachers there. Give us people that from Creekside where their kids go to school there that they get involved and they don't go there and preach but they just bring your life. See, as we pray those things, you know what we're doing? We're just simply inviting the kingdom of God to come and to be a part of that. And I believe that's critical because Jesus wouldn't ask us to pray this way if it wasn't needed. See, I, am, I, I believe so strongly in God's sovereign works. I've seen him in my life. I've seen him all around me. But yet there's this tension that we can never forget that in the midst of that taking place, God says, I need to be invited. I want you to take me into those places. You're part of my kingdom." You're part of the rule and lane. When, when when God rules and reigns in your life, guess what? You take that with you. And that's what He's saying. Let it happen here on earth. I gotta get through this. Let me go to the next one about God's provision. It says, Give us today our daily bread. Notice it isn't my bread, it's our bread. There's there's no personal pronouns in this prayer. There's no singular pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. It's so easy to believe, isn't it, that we're the only ones going through things. We're the only ones facing difficult circumstances. We're the only ones facing hard times, and it's not. God says, listen, everybody's going to face them. He says, give us this day. He doesn't say, give us this month. Give us our monthly needs. Give us our yearly needs. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm so self-sufficient. I just believe I can make it happen. I can do whatever I need. And what this prayer is doing to me again as I'm entering into this year is it's reminding me I need God. Why does he say daily? Because he says, I want you to be connected to me every day. I want you to look to me daily for your needs Well, I can take care of them. Really? See, we get into that thought process because we're most of us in here pretty skilled. We have some, some acumen in different areas and, you know, we get a paycheck and, you know, that's what we do. And we forget that everything is systemic to God and his touch upon our life. And it's so easy for us to move away from dependency and saying, God, I just, today, I want you, I want to invite you into this situation. And then what happens? Pretty soon, someone, we're heading to the divorce court. Oh, we'll pray then, or we're facing bankruptcy. Who will we ever pray? Or the business venture that we're involved in, the bottom is falling out. We'll pray. Our kids are heading south. We'll pray. I wonder what would happen if we were really that committed to praying and saying, oh, God, I need your touch to give me direction for my finances, for my kids today to now. And maybe it wouldn't change some things, but what it would do, is it would prepare you for those situations to be able to walk through them in a godly way and continue to trust God and not be panicked over them. This prayer reminds us to look to Father God for his touch and his direction and his provision daily. Well, Like, is God in some kind of an ego trip? No, no. He doesn't need us. But you know what he knows? He knows how much we need him. In just a few minutes, we're going to receive communion. It's a staple. It's a food staple in many cultures, isn't it? And as we receive it today, I want you to receive it and be reminded, yeah, this is the daily bread that I need to receive from the Lord. I want it to be a reminder that every day we come and say, Lord, I want to look to you for provision, not just for my food, but for guidance for the sustenance that I need in life to meet the needs that I have that I wouldn't continually and just always look and believe that I am the provider of what I need or what I have. And the next thing he says is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Talks about God's pardon. This is a picture of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he brings to us. I've touched on this on a number of talks in the last few weeks so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It just comes up in the context of these messages and it's possible somebody in here really needs to understand the importance of forgiveness and to be reminded of it this time. But every one of us needs to be reminded of the love and the forgiveness of the father and to approach it and to apprehend it at points of our lives. There's a story of a father and his son. They lived in Spain and they'd become estranged and the son ran away and the father set out to find him and, and he searched for him for months but he couldn't find him So finally, he had this idea, this is what he would do. He put out an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and the ad read this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. I want you to know all is forgiven. I love you, your father. On that Saturday, over 600 Pacos showed up. They were looking for forgiveness from their father or from their father's. See, this is one of the great gifts of the Heavenly Father that we don't have to walk around with a low sense of guilt, low grade guilt. We know our sins, our debts can be forgiven, our failures, our foibles. But then here's the point. He says, not only will you be forgiven, but that you would forgive others. And this is the, this is the rub for so many people. We love the idea of receiving forgiveness, and even for some of us, that's really hard to apprehend and to receive. But... What's really hard is for us to forgive others. See, Paul wrote in Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, because you've been reconciled to the Father, because you've been forgiven in Christ Jesus, you be a reconciler and you be a forgiver. So every day that we pray this, Lord, I want to be aware of where I need forgiveness. I want to be one who's always aware. Because you know what? In life, let's face it, we're going to get dinged up. There's people that are going to offend us, they're going to hurt us. Sometimes they mean to, sometimes they don't. But the best way to live, the most toxic, free, free way to live is to be one that not only experiences forgiveness, but forgives. And then he goes on, he says, and and, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we see God's protection. Can I tell you what I really think temptation really is? He's talking about here. It's about anything that distracts us or draws us away from the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of Jesus in your life where you're walking with him, where you want to please him, and you want to serve him, and you're pursuing him. It's not about this sin or that sin. It's about the rule of Jesus in your life. When do I get in trouble? It's not because I did this thing over here. It's because before that, I started moving away from the rule and reign of Christ in my life, where he really is the king, the Lord, the director, the guide. And see, so many of us, that's what happens is we just kind of begin... To move away. And when you're not living in the kingdom, you're not bringing the kingdom to the situations that you're involved in. When you really begin to understand how much God loves you and the care that he has for you, you want to bring that everywhere you go. One of the phrases that we use around here is being open for business. Listen, I I love Jesus with my heart and I work hard to serve him, but do you know how easy it is to get distracted even when this is, quote, your job? And I do it with my heart, but everyone thinks it's probably so easy. But it's really easy to get distracted. I uh, I've had some couple of intensive assignments this week, and I've had to travel to do them. And um, and yesterday I finished up one in 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 Redmond, Oregon, and um, we we're supposed to come home yesterday, and we we're going to be home at one, so that I could finish up for today, and then I could be at the crab feed tomorrow night. Well a uh, little problem, I missed my flight. It's the first flight that I have missed in 30 years of travel. And it wasn't anybody's fault but mine. Trina was with me because she was working with the pastor's wife and we'd go to the airport at about 7.30 and um, I get my itinerary from uh, Eugene, from our denominational regional office and, and I usually study it pretty closely. Well, this time I, I didn't really. And uh, we get to the airport at uh, about 7 o'clock, 7.30 and um, nobody's there. It mean, it's a small airport, really small airport. There's only a couple of, air, only two airlines, I think Delta and Alaska, that fly out of it. And uh, we're kind of looking around. I needed to get some seat assignments fixed and changed for a couple of different reasons. And so I go, and uh, Trina goes up to the counter and pushes the button. About 10 minutes later, a guy comes out, and he goes, what can I do for you? I says, well, we've got, we got a flight here at 9.05, and we need to um, get our seats set up. And he goes, I'm sorry, there's no 9.05 flight. I go, what? He goes, yeah, the last flight was at 625. And he goes, where are you going? I go, I'm going to Oakland, 905. So I get up my itinerary. Oh, duh, 905 was the connector in Salt Lake City (laughs) to go to Oakland. And he goes, you know, it's kind of funny because we missed a couple of people on that flight, as a matter of fact. I go, well, good, Sherlock, that's us. And uh, I didn't say that to him, but that was kind of my thought. And so now I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I got this, now, now I, I mean, there's no, it, this is Redmond, Oregon, okay? It's a small airport, really small, Buchanan-esque. And, and now I got it, so I get on my phone, I'm trying to find these flights, and it's Saturday, I don't have a lot of flights, and uh, so I go and I just, I put it down, and because I couldn't get anything set up really well, so I went and worked on my talk in this room, and was actually, I was working on this point, and I remembered, I wrote down this whole idea, be open for business, so I go, and I'm standing in line, and uh, finally, there's a, a guy that comes out from the back at the counter for Alaska Airlines that I was going to try and get a flight from, and as I'm walking, these, this this, this, co- this couple, they, they're, they're coming. It's like this, who's going to get there first kind of thing, and they had about 30 bags with them, so I wasn't going to rush, you know, and take cuts, and so they ended up getting there, and they dropped him down. And it's, it's, the only, it's the only station that's open, and, and, and I'm not kidding, I was there for 15 minutes waiting for him. And I'm working my phone like crazy, trying to figure out, I've got to figure out a way to get home. And then all of a sudden, Chatty Cathy comes up behind me, and, and a very nice lady, and she comes up and she starts talking about the beautiful weather, you know, it's uh, uh, unseasonably high and warm in Redmond. And, and she starts talking about, oh, I just wish my horse, I want to go out and ride my horse. And I'm thinking, dear, could you just, I'm, I'm busy. I have got to get a flight. And I'm sitting there working my phone, I'm trying to be kind of nice, and I'm really nice when I travel. I tip people well, I, I'm very, very gregarious and all of that. And I, and I go back to my phone, I'm working it, and, and the Lord goes, are you open for business? And I go, what's it to you, (laughs) you know? Um, I said, Lord, I'm busy. I got to get back to your people. I got to get to the crab feed, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't say that. I just said, you're absolutely right, I'm not. And so I turned around and I just started engaging her and talking to her. There was no altar call or anything. But this is what the Lord reminded me. When I get distracted is when I get in trouble. And the most important thing that I bring at a time like that is that I bring his kingdom, his life, to every person and to every situation that I'm in. Because there's nothing that I could do, I'd already been trying, that was going to make that process any faster. And the Lord just said, you know something? When you get distracted, that's the problem. You miss me and you miss my kingdom because that's what we're here for, loved ones. Don't allow, I, I can just, can't you just see the enemy of our soul allowing us to get distracted and so busy with our phone, our iPads, our, our whatever it is and we're walking around and we don't see anybody. We don't see them at work, we don't see them in our family, we don't see them at church, we don't see them in our neighborhood because we're so distracted. God, deliver me from that so that I can bring your kingdom to this place because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's all about Jesus, loved ones. It's all about Him. His glory. There's times when I just want some affirmation. No, it's about His glory. There's some times I want the credit. It's about His glory. And Some of you today, you're facing some, some difficult times. One of the greatest lessons I learned as I closed before we received communion. I had a mentor. His name is Butch Plummer. He's actually Jim Plummer. Some of you are familiar with Jim, uh, my spiritual father, and he was his brother. And uh, when I first came here, he, he was kind of a mentor to me before he died of cancer. And um, I was just telling him all these struggles that I had one time at the church here and financial pressures and ministry pressures and he told me a story and I I was flying into Orange County this last Monday for some meetings and it's what reminded me of this story that he told me years ago. One time he was flying into Orange County and his church that he had just purchased with a high, high debt um, it was actually in the flight pattern of Orange County because he pastored in Tustin, California and he said he's facing all these pressures and he said as he's he's coming in he was just kind of talking and he was looking out the window to see where his church was, just to see it coming in. And, and the Lord just whispered this to him. He said, measure it. Measure it. Yeah, measure your church. You know, okay, so he had to quickly, he got his thumb out, and he just kind of measured it. And, and against his thumb, out the window, coming in, it was about an inch. And he said, that's where the Lord reminded him. You, you need to get perspective on this, butch. It's only an inch. When you're down there, it's acres. It's only an inch from my perspective. See, it's God's kingdom, loved ones. It isn't yours. This church isn't mine. That church wasn't Butch's. It's God's. Do we have to be? Absolutely. Do I've got to invite him in all the time? No kidding. But some of us have to get the perspective and simply measure it. And come back to this Father who says, I'm your provider. I'm your protector. I'm the one who will give you provision. I am the one who wants you to see my personage. Because it's my kingdom, my glory, forever. Amen. (laughs)